Thank you for listening to Strategies and Ideas for U.S. Businesses. This is Michael Wardy, Certified Financial Planner and Regional Director at Source HLV Tax. Today is Saturday, March 28th. And I want to first recognize and thank all the doctors, nurses, and other healthcare specialists that are providing such a great service during this unprecedented time in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Just this week, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, H.R. 748, was approved and signed by President Trump yesterday, Friday, March 27th. So today, we're going to actually focus on some of the very complex parts of the CARES Act, specifically related to commercial real estate, depreciation, and other topics. And I've asked Charles Duncan and Brian Coddington, both of which uh, you've heard them in previous podcasts. And if you haven't, please go back to those podcasts and listen to them. They, they deliver great and very useful information from, and I've heard that from other listeners. Uh, but I asked them to share some insight into what exactly I'm referring to related to the CARES Act and some of the complex parts. So without further ado, gentlemen, thank you for joining. Thank you for having us, Michael. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. So I, normally we do where I start the questions and all that, but I think that there's so much information here. I want to make sure that you guys cover what, um, and again, from the research that you guys have done, uh, that you guys cover what needs to be covered on this podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you guys to, to cover it. Sure. Um, so, Brian, why don't we begin with Section 2303, which deals with modifications for um, net operating losses. Sure, Charles. Well, one of the biggest components of this bill is a modification for the rules relating to net operating losses, which are more commonly known, known as NOLs. An NOL is just a common situation where a business has more expenses than income as a loss. There is a common tax practice that arose early on in the income tax that allows taxpayers to offset losses in the current year with income from other points in the business cycle. It's one of those rare breaks from our annual accounting concepts. Not trying to get all theoretical, but basically it means if we have a loss one year, we can take it to a different year where we have income and reduce or eliminate taxes from that other year. One of the major changes in the TCJA that was enacted just a couple years ago was that we eliminated net operating loss carrybacks. And going forward, we could carry them forward indefinitely, which that was actually a great change. It used to be you could carry them back, and it depends on the year, two, five, maybe even 10 years in certain circumstances, and then you could carry them forward for 20. But they made the carry forward indefinite. You could just keep carrying them forward till you used them, but you were limited to 80% of the taxable income in those future years. You couldn't offset all of your income. You had to pay at least some minimal amount of tax. Well, now we're in an economic crisis. So those rules are sort of out of the window temporarily, and we're going to be going back to the old rules. So if you have a loss, in a tax year beginning after December 31st, 2017, and before January 1st, 
2021, you will be able to carry those losses back five years and then forward as well and not subject to the 80% of taxable income limitation. That is great news. For source HOV, you know, the uh, many of the practices, cost segregation, the Section 179, capital D, energy efficient business property deduction, LIFO, inventory accounting, all of these op practices can create the opportunity to enhance or create net operating losses through various <clears throat> elections or tax accounting method changes. So from our perspective, these losses, the changes in the rules are going to be a great opportunity to assist taxpayers in moving losses from current years back to profitable years when the business cycle was friendlier. And in a few minutes, when we discuss certain cha other changes in the act, we're going to see how one of the, those changes related to qualified improvement property or QIP can be a huge driver of carrying back losses. But to give you an example, let's say you were, you had a great time economically as a business up until this year when we have this pandemic. So this year you have a loss. Well, this loss gets carried back from 2020 to 2015. And then 16, 17, 18, 19. You get to carry back the loss to the earliest of those five years and it absorbs income. And the neat thing is that in pre-2018 years before TCJA changes, those losses, sorry, that income was taxed at a higher rate, generally 35% for corporations and a top rate of 39.6% for pass-through income. And now, we're looking at rates of 21% for corporations and for pass-through income, it varies widely. There are nominal rates in the 37% range, but because of the qualified business income deduction, actual rates tend to be lower in the 31 to 35% range. So we get to create a loss this year where it's only going to eliminate income at say 21%, and we get to create a permanent benefit by carrying it back to 35% tax rate year, which is great news for businesses. That is a permanent benefit. So Brian, can I make a comment real quick? Sure. Uh, it seems to me there's a couple of ways that this can work. Uh, one is that if somebody has acquired or in a, some other way placed in service a building or property within the last year for which they haven't performed any sort of cost segregation study or 179D study on. We could create a loss in the current year and carry that back as you just explained. But it also seems to me that if someone has not uh, performed one of these studies previously, so for instance they they placed in service property two, three, four, five years ago, what have you. Uh, we can still perform a cost segregation study or an R&D study in the current year 
which creates a cost in the current year because we're able to get a catch up in that missed depreciation. So there's, there's multiple opportunities here, both with current year capitalized costs as well as prior year capitalized costs. That is an excellent point. Yes, that is quite possible. I alluded to it earlier when I mentioned tax accounting method changes. Generally speaking, if you have placed and service a building in the past and you haven't performed a cost segregation study on it or a Section 179 capital D study relating to the energy efficient property, then you can in the current year file a Form 3115 application for change in accounting method to recognize those tax benefits. Now, this doesn't involve amended returns at first. Instead, you file the form in the current year, say 2019 or 2020, and those tax benefits, which we have to catch up on over the years, because you know you just depreciated the building over 39 years, and now all of a sudden you're recognizing some five-year depreciation with bonus, perhaps 15-year depreciation with bonus, additional 179D expensing. So you catch up on all of that. The benefits that should have been recognized over straight line 39-year depreciation, and you take that into account now, and that can create a loss. And that loss will then get carried back to five years ago and each succeeding year until the loss is absorbed. Now, there is good news. If you don't want to carry it back, perhaps you were already in losses and you really don't need it or for whatever reason, you don't want to carry it back. You, there is an election, just like under the pre-TCJA rules, to elect out of the carry back and just carry it forward. So it's a wonderful opportunity for taxpayers to do cost segregation studies, look at 179 Cap D studies, even look at LIFO enhancements, or in some circumstances, new LIFO elections for 2019, assuming it was a profitable year and they have not yet filed their financials after their financial audit to have a new LIFO election. So, yes, this is a great time to look at accounting method changes. Okay, so I, I did promise I would stay quiet, but I, so I apologize. Um, it's virtually impossible for me to do anyway. But uh, so you were saying about going back, carrying back losses to 2013. Did I hear that right? Well, 2013 would be the case if we had a 2018 loss. Because remember, this is a retrospective change that affects 2018 also. So if 2018 had a loss, now we can carry that back to previously profitable years. And I do want to note one thing. This doesn't affect the research credit practice because generally speaking, research credit studies provide tax credits. They do not increase current taxable deductions, so sometimes they can through 174 expense studies. Okay, all right, thank you for that. That's, wow, that's all I can say about that. It is, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, should we move on to section 2304, which modifies the, the limitation on losses for taxpayers other than corporations? 
Sure. This is a commonly amongst tax practitioners, we call this the Code Section 461L limitation. It is a limitation on using business losses to offset non-business income. You know, when the TCJA was passed, it wasn't even a week before the ink was, you know, the ink wasn't even dry yet. And we were getting calls about from tax practitioners saying, oh my goodness, all of my taxpayers, my, my real estate professionals in certain parts of the country, especially in the Northeast, they have huge portfolio income amounts that we used to get cost seg to offset that. Now we're limited to $500,000 of offset. What can we do? Well, I mean, you offset the business income and you take offset $500,000 in other income. This change relaxes that, essentially temporarily reverts us for years prior to 2021 to the old ones. So for example, let's say in 2017, under the old ones, we had a real estate professional who has a cost segregation done on one of her buildings. It results in a $1 million loss. She also had $750,000 in portfolio income. She could offset the entire amount of that income with the loss. Unfortunately, the TCJA changed that. It limited that offset to $500,000. But now, we replay that same scenario in 2019, she can once again offset the full amount. And as we recall, you know, there were a lot of financial markets that were doing great in 2019, and many taxpayers had substantial income. So it's a wonderful opportunity for taxpayers with diverse interests to look into offsetting non-business income with business losses. Uh, sounds great. Um, I'll, the next <coughs> section, section 2306, modifies the limitations on business interest. And from my understanding under the TCJA, you know, this was a particularly complex topic and one that was uh, continually evolving from the point in which it was written into law in December of 2017, all the way up until uh, 2020. And this, this seems to uh, modify it yet again. Well, that is true. And regarding this section, what this section does, it modifies the business interest limits. So historically, taxpayers could de deduct all their business interest. You know, they take out a loan for a business purpose. They have to pay interest to their financial institution and they get to deduct that. It was great. It also led to something that economists widely criticized, a preference for debt over equity investments. So many countries have already enacted business interest limitations. And the United States followed suit in the TCJA by saying, you can deduct your business interest but it is limited. You have to carry over the excess interest now to later years. And that limitation is 
you take your interest income, you add to that 30% of what we commonly call tax EBITDA, which is basically your taxable income, but you add back depreciation and amortization. Now you take 30% of that. And if you're an auto dealership, if you sell motor vehicles, you can also add 100% of your floor plan financing interest expense. And all that is, floor plan financing, financing interest expense, is when you have a, an entity like an auto dealership, they don't pay cash to buy their inventory of autos. No, <laughs> even if they can, they typically don't. Instead, they finance their inventory purchases which they call their floor plan. And the interest expense for that financing is floor plan financing interest expense. They have very good lobbyists, so they got a rule that allowed them to deduct 100% of that. This led to many complications. If you'd like, you can find some of the discussion of those complications on the Source HOV tax blog, or reach out to your Source HOV tax business director for a previous email blast on the subject. But suffice it to say, there have been multiple rounds of guidance on this. We had proposed regulations that came out a couple years ago. Before the COVID-19 crisis, the final regulations and new proposed regulations on this subject had even come out, but they had not yet been published. They had finished review, but they had not been published. So those are sit waiting in the wings to be published any time now, or who knows, maybe they'll be delayed and reworked after these changes. Because what the CARES Act did was they said that 30% of tax EBITDA limit, we're going to increase that to 50%. That means taxpayers will be able to deduct additional interest. Great. The reason this impacts depreciation is because I told you that auto dealers had great lobbyists. Well, they did, but their lobbying came at a price. They said, okay, you can deduct 100% of your floor plan interest, but it'll cost you your bonus depreciation, at least in your dealership operating entity. Well, this was not great, so the lobbyists went back to work. And eventually, guidance came out from the Joint Committee on Tax saying, look, as long as the dealership is below the cap of 30% of tax EBITDA plus interest income, they can still take bonus depreciation. Eventually, in, eventually in recently released regulations that were released later in 2019, that was confirmed by the IRS. Now, with this increase in the limit from 30% to 50%, even more dealerships will be able to take bonus depreciation, which is great news. It'll also help them create losses that they can carry back. Now, there's an even more complicated topic, which is there's another industry that has wonderful lobbyists. And that is the real estate industry. They got a rule passed 
that said they can elect out of the interest limitations if they are a real property trade or business. Now that's a well-defined term that encompasses pretty much any real estate activity you can think of. And the only limit on it was self-rental situation. Self-rental is a technical term from the tax code. And I'm using it a bit loosely here, but essentially if you're leasing your, your property to an entity you control, in whole or in part, and there are specific thresholds that we won't go into today, then you can't consider the leasing entity, the owner, as a electing real property trader business. And if you wanna think about it this way, you can't take your real estate out of your company, which most companies do for liability reasons, and all of a sudden say, it's a real estate trader business, and get unlimited depreciation, even if you would be limited on the other side in your operating. Well, okay, so they made this election, and this election is generally irrevocable. That means you cannot revoke it without consent of the IRS, which would generally require a $30,000 private letter. So most people aren't going to go down that road. Reason this is important is. When we talk about the next section on qualified improvement property and what they fixed, the 163J7B election to be treated as a real property trader business and get the unlimited interest expensing came at a price. And that price was no bonus depreciation on qualified improvement property. So when we discuss the next section, we're going to see just how that can impact different types of taxpayers. So now that I've teed it up, Charles, how about you discuss section 2307, the technical amendments regarding qualified improvement property? Just what is sure, qualified improvement property? Sure, Brian. So qualified improvement property, which is commonly abbreviated as QIP, was introduced under the PATH Act in uh, uh, 2016. It was meant to work alongside three other types of Q property, qualified retail, qualified restaurants, and qualified leasehold improvement property. What separated QIP from the other two back in 2016 was that its sole purpose for existing was to determine whether or not new interior improvements to existing commercial real estate could qualify for bonus depreciation. And, and specifically, this is real property, or what we call Section 1250 property. Uh, we understand that personal property is going to qualify for bonus no matter what, but under the QIP provisions, the real property, so you know your ceilings and your interior, you know any interior work that was not personal property could suddenly get bonus, uh, whether it was 39 years or 15 or had a 15-year life. And this did not apply to multifamily housing, such as nursing homes or apartment complexes. It didn't apply to anything structural, you know, such as the interior structural framework of the building, nor did it apply to elevators, escalators, or anything on the exterior of the building, such as exterior doors, exterior windows, et cetera. And so for, for two years, we had 
QIP working in a concerted uh, manner with these other three types of geo property. The TCJA sought to simplify all these types of queue property. And the goal was to combine these four into a single category, and they were gonna retain the QIP category. Uh, the intent of the TCJA was that QIP property would now have a 15-year life, would qualify for bonus depreciation, and would also qualify for Section 179 expensing. Unfortunately, during the final drafting of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, there were there were mistakes made. You know, let's call them cutting and pasting errors. Um, many people refer to this as the retail glitch. And what happened was that beginning January 1st of 2018, uh, the TCJA had successfully eliminated qualified leasehold, qualified retail, and qualified restaurant property. It retained QIP, but they forgot to enable QIP to have that 15-year life and, and bonus depreciation. And what we see now in the, uh, in the CARES Act is that Congress has finally addressed that. Uh, so, QIP, that's retail glitch as it's called, has been fixed. And on a go-forward basis, qualified improvement property now has a 15-year life. It receives bonus depreciation, which currently is set at 100% bonus under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, and it qualifies for Section 179 expensing. So this has been a long time coming. Uh, uh, it's been widely recognized, you know, as a mistake, and you know, and it's finally fixed. So there, there's this is great news if you're in the real estate industry. This is called the retail glitch because the retail industry is one that was particularly affected. If you consider which types of real estate are more likely to have new interior improvements to an existing building. Very quickly, you're going to realize that retail uh, shopping centers are ones where tenants move in and out, and there's a constant uh, uh, turning over of tenant spaces and building out the new ones. And, and thus, you know, this is a retail glitch. These new improvements can now get bonus. But it also applies uh, far beyond the retail industry. It applies to any commercial real estate. And again, commercial meaning not multifamily housing, such as apartment complexes, but almost anything else. So uh, your, your multi-tenant office buildings were heavily affected by this, quote, retail glitch. Uh, auto dealerships, which are constantly in a process of uh, undergoing what they call image upgrades to conform with new brand standards, those were heavily affected by this as was virtually you know, anything else you can think of, even a self-occupied office building. If you remodel the interior under the retail glitch, you were not able to get bonus depreciation for that 15-year life. Now we can for all these different types of properties. Uh, and this will, you know, on a go-forward basis, this is going to have a, a, a significant effect on the retail industry and on the cost segregation industry as well, which, you know, is you know we we spend a lot of our time trying to identify uh, this QIP property when when applicable. Uh, so for 
for taxpayers that own a shopping center or a multi-tenant office building in particular, very often the entirety of the tenant improvements is occurring within the building. You know, it's not affecting the outside. It's not structural. It's not elevators, escalators, or part of the exterior. And so very often they're going to be able under this, under, under the CARES Act, uh, to go ahead and expense everything. They're essentially, they're getting 100% bonus on everything that is Section 1250 real property. And they're already able to get 100% bonus on all the Section 1245 personal property. So in these cases, they can go ahead and write everything off in the, in the current year. Uh, but we can't paint with too broad of a brush here. And when we start looking at truly significant expenditures, you know, someone's spending $500,000, for instance, there's a reasonable likelihood that some of what they're identifying, or excuse me, some of what they are placing into service is not properly or should not properly be identified as QIP or personal property. Um, you think of your typical auto dealership image upgrade. To the extent that they are uh, applying a new facade to the exterior of the building, that's not QIP. Re-roofing is not QIP. Uh, uh, any work on external HVAC systems, uh, external doors, external windows uh, is not QIP. If, uh, if a property is expanding its footprint to enclose new space, this also is not QIP. And I can go on and on. Uh, with auto dealerships, it's very easy to uh, to talk about this, but you're going to see it with shopping centers uh, and to a lesser extent with office buildings. But anytime there's uh, tenant improvements with the shopping center, but they're doing work on the facade, that will not fall this QIP category. And this is where cost segregation uh, properly applied can can carve out what should be QIP, so you can get the 100% bonus on that and separate that out from anything else that doesn't fall into that category. Uh, Brian, would you like to would you like to uh, interject here? Sure. Um, I need to mention one thing: is that the effective date is for this is that it's retroactive to 1 1 2018. So that means right now taxpayers could go back and amend their 2018 tax return to claim QIP bonus depreciation, which would typically be at 100%, and carry, if that generates loss, carry that back five years. So this is one of the largest loss-generating components of this bill. The NOL carryback, it's not just for 2020. It's for 2018 taxpayers who are now deducting their 100% bonus depreciation on their 15-year QIP. Now, the only bad news is that before this glitch was fixed, taxpayers frequently made what I referred to earlier, the 163J7B election. Now, we're hoping the IRS provides in the final regulations for 163J some clear guidance that allows taxpayers to elect out of those previous elections, the previous real property trade or business elections to cancel those for prior years, if it's beneficial for them to do so. 
and they'll have to compare the value of accelerating depreciation on QIP versus the value of unlimited interest deductions in that year. So that will cut across a wide swath of real estate owners. And it could be a wonderful opportunity to look at, well, how far do we get with just cost segregation and the election? We like to be a real property trader business and take unlimited interest deductions each year. Do we get to, how close do we get? What is our position compared to taking limited interest deductions and 100% bonus? And so I anticipate that many taxpayers and CPAs will be interested in running those numbers. Now, Charles, when you're looking at prior year studies, was it typical to identify QIP in the cost segregation industry? It, it depends on the firm. Uh, we have known since since the end of 2017 that this retail glitch was baked into into the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, uh, and firms handled it in a number of different ways. So some firms just, you know made the assumption that this would eventually get fixed. And for a, a large portion of the last two years, they were they were performing studies that may technically not have been correct at that moment, but they anticipated this would be fixed in the future and, and they ran with it anyway. Uh, firms like ours took a kind of, uh, took a, a different tact on that. We performed our studies uh, based on what was in the law currently you know currently meaning all the way up until friday and but we hedged our bets knowing that this might be fixed we went ahead and carved out the the qip property into a separate category even though it did not have uh you know any sort of different treatment other than qualifying for section 179 even though it didn't get bonus and didn't have 15 year life we would go ahead and carve it out as 39 year uh you know QIP just in case and there's other firms that I, I suspect just in, you know just treat everything as 39 year property didn't bother making that carve out and so now with the reintroduction of of QIP in its originally imagined state uh, under the T, under the TCJA uh, ourselves as well as other firms are going to have to go back and revisit studies that we've worked on before to pick up this this uh, this opportunity for us, it's going to be relatively easy. We've already carved it out. We just need to uh, now identify it as receiving bonus depreciation. Uh, but that brings up a, another question. Uh, for the last two years, we have been identifying QIP as 39-year property without bonus, and we have a couple years now tax returns where we had a permissible method uh, and now under the, the CARES Act suddenly we have a new permissible method that's more advantageous so to the extent that we are going from a permissible to a permissible method how are we going to deal with this do we do we file 3150 to make this change do we amend returns uh, what did you hear Brian Well, right now, 
it seems very clear that we can amend terms. How much is 100% clear? Now, whether we can also at some point file, that was not in the statute. The new statute doesn't mention that. So what approach the service, the IRS, takes to this. Because historically, if we look at some of the most recent regulation projects, how they all where something was permissible at the time and suddenly becomes impermissible, somewhat varied. And it was also, you know, there's been a gulf between practitioners, how we view it, for many taxpayers, especially real estate partnerships, especially ones who partnership rules, it would be much easier to file a 3115 2019 or 2020 to fix this, even if they do have to deal with later carrybacks for NOLs. Brian, I think you cut out a little bit, um, but I think we got the uh, the gist of it. Is that fair, Charles? I, I, I believe so. Yeah, clearly, Brian was having technical problems there at the end, but uh, that that basically answers my question. Yeah. All right. Any, any other insight before we wrap up? I know that this is. I mean, I, honestly, this is phenomenal that the that this gets signed on Friday, uh, yesterday. And you guys have already done the research and the due diligence and gained enough of an understanding to be able to talk in great detail about this. This is not an area that, please correct me if I'm wrong, it's not an area that the general person will take this up and say, oh, here's what I do and here's how I do it. Um, from what I gathered and listening to what you guys were talking about, there's a, a lot of moving parts. Um, especially when we're looking at commercial real estate that need to be taken into consideration, hiring or referring back to conversations or relying on professionals that have that insight is going to be incredibly important in doing this the right way. And like I always say, do it right, right do it the right way the first time so you don't have to fix it later. Absolutely, Michael. This this is a, an immensely complicated area of, of the tax code. And not only has it been rapidly evolving, all these sections we've talked about today have been rapidly evolving over the last two years. And now they just, you know, again, uh, were modified very significantly just yesterday. So, you know, it's, if you have commercial real estate, it's, it's certainly worth reaching out, getting more information to figure out if, if anything we talked about today allows you to free up capital. And given the current tragedy of, of, of this epidemic we have right now and the constriction of, of, uh, of the economy, I think there's going to be a, a, a lot of people who are looking for ways to, to free up you know, uh, capital. And in many ways, what we're talking about is it's, it's akin to getting an interest-free loan. Uh, you, you know, be, you know, based on the real estate that you already own, uh, that's really what it's you know very much uh, very similar to. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way. Brian, you still with us? No, I'm still here. And I just want to add that if you do end up in a lost position, especially you 
using the fixed retail glitch, it gets better than an interest-free loan. You can carry it back to years where you had previously paid uh, taxes. And so those amended returns will generate permanent benefits in many cases. So it is a great opportunity to look at what's happening with commercial real estate. It really is. It really is. You guys, thank you both. And I, I again, uh, being a Saturday and being with family, I know it's always important to all of us, but um, I know that we all recognize that this information needs to be shared with our audience, with our listeners, with our subscribers. Uh, Brian and Charles, thank you guys again for um, joining me today and delivering great guidance and insight into how to best maneuver this area. For our listeners around the world, please feel free to reach out to me with any questions you may have. Um, on the description of this podcast, you will see my email address. Please feel free to email me um, any questions you may have or if you want additional insight or to schedule a call with Brian or Charles uh, or both to talk further about this. Just shoot me an email, let me know, and we'll get it set up. Uh, also, share this podcast with anyone that you may feel would benefit from this information. It's it's great information, and it's it is going to bring a lot of value to uh, com the commercial real estate world. So definitely share this information with um, anybody that you know. Uh, and if you do have, uh, or if you do have ideas that you would like to learn about um, for your business with regards to any strategies, again, ideas that you may have that you'd like to learn more about, email me and I will work on setting up a podcast with that request. Thank you guys. Thank you again, everyone for listening. Be safe and enjoy your day.